0: Children's Church, Rose is headed to the back with some others who will be going downstairs with our children to lead them in Children's Church, so you can head to the back of the sanctuary. And here in the sanctuary, we're going to take a moment to pray as we prepare our hearts to look at God's Word here. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your presence in this place, and you are awesome in this place You are awesome wherever you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are with us wherever we go. You go before us, and you are behind us. And through Jesus Christ, you live within us. And so today, as we come to your word, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts and reveal your truth to us, Lord, in this event that happened in the life of David. Help us to learn from it about your holiness about the importance that we give you reverence and honor and glory and that we never treat that reverence as if it's something to be taken lightly. We pray, Lord, that we'll leave here committed to you and that we might become more like you. Bless our children and those who are leading them in Children's Church. And we thank you, Lord, that the seed of your word that is planted will not return void, it will bear fruit in due time. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's turn to Second Samuel chapter 6, and for a few moments, we're going to continue looking at some events in the life of David, and this is, uh, uh, as so many of them are when you read through it, your first impression is, wow, that's, that's odd, that's different, that's unusual. And it's true, because these events generally are things that God did in his life that were dramatic. And all of them were there to prepare David to be the king that God wanted him to be. And we can learn from what David learned from God. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see An event that centers around the Ark of the Covenant. Now, before we read the passage, I want to share with you some things about the Ark of the Covenant. It was a piece of furniture, basically, wasn't it, in the Old Testament. It was a box, an oblong box that was 52 inches by 31 inches by 31 inches. Uh, those who have taken the measurements given in the Scripture and converted it to our system. That's what they say it is. So it was, it was not a huge thing, but it was a very important box that God gave. He commanded Moses, if you will remember, to make it as they prepared to leave Egypt. And all through the history of the people of Israel, it was so very significant And that's because it came to be the place, God gave it as the place, where his glory dwelt, his presence with the people. And so, it's not that the people of Israel worshipped the ark. They did not worship the box. It was not an idol. But it was the place where God said his glory would dwell with the people. And so, throughout the Old Testament, this ark of the covenant was so very important the scripture said that the Shekinah glory of God meaning the very glory of God's presence itself dwelt hovered above that ark the ark though of course was actually a box it it was a real thing in the old testament But it also represented something that was to come, as everything in the Old Testament did. And so the presence of God with the people, represented by that Ark of the Covenant and God dwelling there. What do you think that was ultimately representing? In just a few weeks, we're going to begin our observance of Christmas, aren't we? And one of the names for Jesus said, and... His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so that Ark of the Covenant foreshadowed the time, the moment when God himself would come in human form, take on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to dwell with us. And so the presence of God was with his people in the Old Testament. And now the presence of God has come to be with us in all of its fullness through the person of Jesus himself. Now in that ark were three things. We're told over in Hebrews chapter 9, I believe, at verse 4, that there was Aaron's rod that budded that was in there. And that rod represented leadership, it represented authority. And, of course, we know that all authority belongs to God Himself. And so for that rod to be in that ark, it means the presence of God, the glory of God. God Himself has all authority, all power, and He is our leader. And we should look to Him as our ultimate leader. And, of course, Christ Himself would ultimately rule and reign as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And then also was a golden pot with manna. God told him to put some of the manna in that ark. And that manna, of course, represented God's provision, his resources that he provided for the people of Israel. Everywhere they went as they wandered in the wilderness, God kept them alive It looked like there was no way that they would survive wandering through that wilderness. And yet God kept them alive totally because of his own power, his providing power. And God is still the God who provides. He provides for you. He provides for me. And so in that ark represented the provision of God that that manna was placed in there. And then also the Ten Commandments were placed inside the ark. The Ten Commandments engraved in stone. They were put in that ark to represent the righteousness and the holiness of God. All righteousness and holiness dwells in God himself. And any righteousness that we have is not something that wells up from within us. It comes from God And that's why we need to come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven of our sin. So that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. But in that ark, wherever that ark was carried, you had these three things. The leadership and authority of God. The providing power of God. And the holiness and the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those, didn't he? And he came that we might have eternal life. And then the lid of the ark. The ark was was uh had gold that was placed all around it. It was made out of acacia wood, but then the lid was solid gold. And it was called the mercy seat. And on that mercy seat were these two uh cherubim, one on each end of it, and the presence of God, the glory of God dwelt there between those two cherubim. And so that mercy seat was the place, remember, where once a year the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, either in the tabernacle or later in the temple. And there on that lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the blood of animal sacrifices would be of a lamb that was slain would be placed on that ark would be sprinkled on that ark and that represented the cleansing not only of the high priest but for all the people all of that foreshadowed the lamb of god slain from before the foundation of the world who went to the cross and he once and for all paid for our sin his blood was poured out on that mercy seat And so you see, Jesus fulfilled everything about the Ark of the Covenant. And in a real sense, the Ark of the Covenant, which was carried into the tabernacle or the temple, it's fulfilled in that fact that Jesus now will come into your life. What does the Bible say about your body? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God dwells within us. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, God comes into your life through the person of Jesus Christ who indwells you, comes to live within you. And His Spirit lives within you forever. And so this Ark of the Covenant was so important to the people of Israel, but it's also important to us because of what it represented and what it foreshadowed and that Jesus Himself fulfilled everything about it. And so now we we don't have an Ark That has those things in it. We have Christ himself who has come into our life. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant today. Because Jesus. Is the one who has come into our life. And gives us righteousness. He gives us his leadership. He provides all that we need. And so David. When he became king. And by 2 Samuel 6. He had become the king. Saul and Jonathan were dead. And he had now assumed the mantle, the role of king. And he was smart enough to know. He loved God enough to know that if he was going to be the king God wanted him to be, he needed the presence and the power of God to help him. And so he wanted the Ark of the Covenant to be brought to Jerusalem. And he prepared a tabernacle, a a tent of meeting that it would go into. He wanted to eventually build a temple. He didn't eventually do that, but his son did, right? Solomon. But he wanted that Ark of the Covenant. He wanted the presence of God to be there with him, to strengthen him, and to lead him. And so that's where we find 2 Samuel 6 picking up. So look at that chapter, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, which also can be It's also the name Kiriath-Jerim is probably more commonly used. To bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cistrums, and on cymbals. I guess they didn't get the message that you're not supposed to have instruments in a church service, right? They did. I guess it's okay, right? Because they certainly use stringed instruments to worship the Lord. Verse six. And when they came to Nakhon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And that name, Perez Uzzah, literally means outburst against Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. I told you it was going to be an unusual story. There are a lot of these in the Old Testament. But there's a lot to learn here. First, we are to show reverence to Almighty God. Reverence simply means that we... Honor God, that we have respect for God. You see, there's the tension between the familiarity of God. He is familiar to us. He is closer than a brother. He is the God who lives within us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He is familiar, but He is still other. He is not like us. God is holy, perfectly holy. God is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. And we must never forget that. The minute we begin to think of God as being just like us, we've lost a sense of reverence for God. Now, the far extreme is that God is so other and we revere him so much that we don't Love him. We don't feel close to him. God doesn't want that either. And so these two tensions we must always struggle with because we want both to be close to God but always revere him as God. And I think some of the struggle today among churches, in churches, as to how to do worship and all the things that go on is trying to bridge this gap or try to deal with this struggle between reverence for God and being close to God. Both are true. We can be close to God, familiar with God, but we must always remember that He is God, and we are not. And this is what David dealt with here. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, to Jerusalem. The thing is, he didn't do it God's way. He lost a sense of reverence for God. And as we read the story, let's notice some things that happened here. When we don't revere God, when we don't honor and respect God enough, there will be disobedience. Disobedience against God comes from a heart that says, I know better than God. I can do my own thing. It doesn't matter what God thinks. We don't even seek out what God thinks. And if we do know what His Word says, we say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. That is a loss of reverence for God. Because if you revered God as God, you would not want to do that. I would not want to do that. Here we find a loss of reverence. In verses 1 through 5, in bringing the ark, what did they do? They put it on a cart. Well, the problem is, you see, in Exodus 25, you can go there and read that for yourself later, verses 12 to 15, God not only told them how to make the ark, but how to transport the ark. And he said that there would be Uh, a ring on each corner of the Ark of the Covenant and then there would be poles that would be placed through those rings and the Ark was always to be carried by the people of the priesthood. That's how it was to be done. Not put on a cart and and driven away by oxen but it was to be borne. It was to be carried by the people symbolizing their utter respect for God. And that God was in their very midst as they went. And so they didn't do it God's way. They, they, David was trying to do a good thing, but he was trying to do it his own way. Not God's way. Actually, it was not his own way. It was the Philistines' way. You see, we could spend a lot of time going through the history of what happened to the Ark. But at one point, the Ark, you know, fell into the hands of the Philistines. And the Philistines thought, wow, we've got it now. It's like the genie in the bottle. We've got this ark. We're going to use it. It's going to help us be victorious everywhere we go. But it didn't work out that way. What happened was they had disaster after disaster, calamity after calamity. And eventually, it, this thing was like a hot potato to them. And they decided, we've got to get rid of this thing. We, we don't know what to do with it. And so what did they do? They built a cart for it and they put it on a cart and they had some cows bear it off in the direction of a city and they just let it go. They wanted to get rid of the ark because God was not going to bless them in their presence. And so when the ark eventually ended up in the home of Abinadad and for decades... Then David, when he became king, he said, I want to bring the ark back. I want to bring it to Jerusalem. But he did it the way the Philistines did. He didn't go back to what the law said. He didn't obey things as God had told them. He put it on a cart. And that was his first mistake. You see, sometimes we're trying in our lives to do What we believe is right, but we're not doing it God's way. We're like the Philistines. We build a cart, our own cart, and we try to put God on that cart and make him bless us. And it just won't happen. It won't work. If you want God to bless your life, you must be obedient to him. You must be willing to say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I'm going to do it your way. And then we also see that without reverence anger, God's anger is a result. And this is the, the terrible account here. because they put it on a cart shouldn't have been on a cart to start with. God said not to put it on anything other than to be carried by the people using those poles. but it was on a cart. They were going down a hill. something bad's going to happen, right? It started to become unstable. And this poor guy, Uzzah, who was probably a good guy, he reaches out and he touches the ark. Now, he intended something good, but he touched the ark. And when he did, he died. And that is exactly what God had said would happen in the Old Testament. He said, if you touch the ark, you will die. And he was true to his word. And you know what? God is still true to his word. I mean, the devil is always there to say, you will not surely die. It's okay. You can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's just trying to keep you from having a good time and knowing all the things that the world wants you to know. You're not going to die if you rebel against God. But then death came, right? Spiritual death physical death came because of disobedience. And God had said, don't touch it. Don't eat of it or you will die. And here with the ark, he had said, don't touch it or you'll die. And that's exactly what happened. Now, David got mad at God. Isn't that just, doesn't that sound like people? When things don't go the way we want them to, and we have been disobedient to God, we've done it our way, and we've deliberately done things that God says not to do, and then when bad things happen, what do we do? We get angry with God. We blame God. Why did God let this happen? How could God do this? Well, God didn't do it. I mean, I guess he did, but he promised that this is what will happen if you're disobedient if you don't do it my way without reverence there's disobedience there is God's anger and there can be death and in this case that happened and that made David very discouraged it says that you know in verse 9 he was afraid of the Lord that day not in a good way but now he was afraid to even have anything to do with the ark of the covenant And so he let it go into the house of this man, Obed-Edom. And there it was for three months. David didn't know what to do. But you know what? David learned from his mistakes. And that's a good example for us. We may make terrible mistakes in life, but we can learn from those mistakes. We should learn from those mistakes. Don't be so proud that when you know you've made a terrible mistake... That you just persist in that mistake and refuse to learn from it. Let God teach you. Let God teach me when we make these mistakes. Because God wants to use every experience, good and bad, to help us to become more like him. David learned from it. And that's where we come to verses 12 and following. Now it was told King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So that, that house, now you can imagine what Obed-Edom thought when the ark was brought in there. He, he was probably thinking, What am I going to do with this? He probably had heard that the man had been struck dead just because he touched it. But in his house dwelt the presence of God. And because of that, he was blessed. You see, in your life, in your house, when you make a place for the presence of God, you will be blessed. And David heard, you know, that man's being blessed. Maybe I ought to rethink this. Maybe I ought to go down there and we ought to do it God's way. And so he goes on and says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. He got over being angry. Being angry with God. Are you angry with God? Are you hanging on to something? Is it time to let it go? Is it time to once again enjoy the presence of God with gladness? And get over the anger that you have against him. Because you know what? God is bigger than whatever it is made you angry. And his love is greater. And so here we find David. He goes back. Now he could have been too proud to do that. He was the king now. But he went down there to that house. In verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord. It's not on a cart this time, is it? David learned from his mistake. He went back and he did it God's way. Now they're carrying the ark exactly the way God said it should be done. Those bearing the ark of the Lord. When they'd gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And so here they were bearing the ark and he not only was doing it now God's way but he also was doing it with a heart of sacrifice. If you want to reclaim reverence in your life start with obedience. Do it God's way. Listen to what he says. Don't be too proud to change whatever is not right with god in your life start being obedient to him reverence will grow from that that is reverence when you are obedient to god and then a sacrificial spirit he it doesn't say how mu- how many sacrifices but i'm sure with david it was probably a lot because he wanted to honor god with these sacrifices And then we find joy, an overflowing heart of joy was now there with David. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then David danced before the Lord. The word dance means to to whirl about. David was ecstatic about God and the fact that his presence was on its way to Jerusalem. He danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. That's a garment of the priesthood. It meant that David had removed his kingly his kingly robes and was wearing the simple garment of a priest now. He was serving God. He was worshipping God even though he was the king. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet and so they did it with great joy because now they were bringing the the ark of the testimony the ark of the covenant where the presence of god dwelt they were bringing it into the city of jerusalem and they did it with a heart of worship and blessing they continued to worship and then david took and he gave gifts to people and so All of these things are a part of reverence. Obedience. Joy. Worship. Blessing. And when we're willing to give ourselves ourselves to these things, then we will develop a heart of real reverence for God. Reverence will be given to God when we're willing to do it His way. But then... There's a final part of the story. Verses 20 and following. Because this is also true about reverence. When you begin to give reverence to God. You can expect resistance. Not from God. But from others. Resistance from the evil one. Resistance from other people. Reverence always results in resistance. Resistance. There are people whose whole purpose in life is to resist, resist God, resist anything that is good. And little did David know that this resistance would be centered in his own home, his own wife. Look at verse 20. Uh, Yeah, verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household. He brought the presence of God Jerusalem he was excited he was filled with joy he was overflowing because he had had this opportunity to honor God and to to worship him and then he went to his home it says and Michael the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said how glorious was the king of Israel today uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She wasn't excited, was she? Right there in his own home. Now, this does not mean that David did anything that was untoward or uh, that was uh, filthy. That's not what this means. What it means is She was embarrassed that he had taken off his kingly robes and was wearing the simple garment of a priest. He had just debased himself in her mind. He was the king of Israel. He shouldn't have been acting like that. He shouldn't have lowered himself. He shouldn't have humbled himself. And that's what she was saying to him. She also obviously resented his love for God she resented the time that he spent she resented the affection that he was showing to God himself and the humility before him and so she is giving him the business verse 21 so David said to Michael Michael that's a female name the the way it's used here So David, his wife, so David said to Michael, his wife, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Do you notice that? By them. Not you. Not my own wife. You don't hold me in honor. The maidservants will hold me in honor because I was worshiping the Lord, but you don't. This is an important lesson. When you in your life have a husband... When you have a wife, if you have children, if you have grandchildren who love the Lord and who serve Him and who worship Him and who honor Him, don't be like Michael. Don't resent that. The truth is, Michael should have been down there worshiping the Lord too, right? But she was too good for that. She was above that, but David wasn't. In your life, as you worship the Lord and as you serve him, as you show him reverence, you're going to find there are going to be people who will resent you for that. They will resist you for that. Don't let that stop you. You keep on loving God and honoring him and serving him no matter what and let God work out everything else. Now, the best thing, of course, is if they as a family would have been doing that together, right? Any family to do that together. But if it can't be together, like David said, I'll be even more dignified than that. I'm going to keep on serving the Lord. And that's what God expects of us. Verse 23, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Why do you think that was? She was barren, in other words. She never bore a child. I think that also was there. That was an acted parable in a sense. God caused that to happen to to make it clear. She was already barren. It wasn't just a matter that she didn't have children. She was barren. She was devoid of devotion and love for God. There was barrenness in her. And that then became a physical reality in her life as well. Through my years as a pastor, I have known husbands who have really resented the time their, their wife spends serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord. I have known wives who have resented the time that their husband gives in service to God. May it never be so. Don't resist when somebody loves God. Encourage it. Join with them. Do everything you can to lift up and honor the name of God because you will be blessed. Just like the house of that man was blessed when God's presence was there, you will be blessed. Your house will be blessed when the presence of God, the holiness of God is revered and honored and lifted up would you pray with me we thank you lord for this chapter it's so full so many things here we can learn from and we confess some of it we don't fully understand it certainly is not the way we would do things but lord then we confess we're not you we're not god so help us to just humbly receive what you have given to us today Help us to learn from it. And then in our lives, Lord, help us to learn the way that David learned. There may be a lot of mistakes that we've made. Help us to learn from them, Lord. To not keep doing the same thing over and over again. But instead, to do it your way. To let you lead us and to allow you to bless us as you want to. If there are decisions we need to make now in these moments of invitation, we pray that you'll help us to be obedient to you. And Lord, there may be commitments we need to make to you today to ask Jesus to come into our life, to receive his love and forgiveness. Help us to be willing to say, Lord, I need you. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. I give my life to you. I want your presence in my life. Whatever you would lead us to do now, Lord, help us to follow you. And we'll give you the praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.